0: Okay, so go ahead and turn now to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 16 through 26. I want to begin by sharing something now that uh, that I'm not proud of. In fact, you're going to think less of me after you hear me tell this, but this is a true story of something that happened this week in my life. Earlier this week, I was in the middle of just wrapping things up in the morning um, when uh, my wife and I were preparing to transition. Uh, I watched the kids in the morning and then go off to work and then she gets home from work and then watches them in the afternoon. And so she got ha- she got off work just a little bit early and she cut, she got home and she started rushing me out the door. She said, Gil, go, go to work, go, go. And, uh, and that way she was thinking that I would hopefully be able to get home earlier. And, uh, either that, or she just wanted me out of the house, which is entirely possible as well. Um, but regardless, I grabbed my bag and I rushed out of the house and I didn't eat anything. I was hungry. And so as I was driving towards work, I said, uh, I want some food. Uh, So I decided to, instead of working that afternoon up in the office, to work up in Manchester. And so I started driving north and I stopped by a Burger King. I wanted a Whopper. And I saw, though, when I got there, that uh, Whoppers were on sale. And so you can get two Whoppers for $5. And I said, oh, that's a great deal. And yes, I'll have two Whoppers, no cheese, extra pickles on my Whoppers there. So that's what I had. And I munched them down and everything, and then I got to my little parking spot in the shade, ready to, to work the afternoon away, um, looking out over on the soccer field, and uh, and I started reading my commentaries, and then after about a half hour, I was ready for my bubble tea. And so, I then po- ordered the bubble tea on my app, and then uh, went a few moments later into the bubble tea pl- And they know me by name there. They said, hey, Kyle, we made a mistake with your order. We accidentally made two of them. Would you like both of them? And I was like, yeah, of course. And so I took two bubble teas back to my car and I drank them. And then my stomach started hurting for some reason. And I started feeling like I had just eaten a Thanksgiving meal for what was supposed to be just a quick little lunch and a little snack while I was working on my sermon. And it turns out, I looked this up later on, that uh, each Whopper with no cheese contains 660 calories, 49 carbs, and 40 grams of fat. And then each uh, bubble tea, a large bubble tea with bubbles, 400 calories, 56 carbs, and 11 grams of fat. And I Two of each. And so I had, for that quick little lunch, a grand total of 2,120 calories, 210 carbs, and 102 grams of fat. It's no wonder my stomach hurts. It's a a miracle of God right there. I didn't fall over dead from a heart attack. Amen? Oh. But it just goes to say that too much of a good thing cannot be very good sometimes, right? And so a Whopper is good at least in my opinion, but too many of them, not good, not good. Too many of too many good things can turn into a bad thing. Well, listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter five, verse 16. He says, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And that word desires there is key. He does, he's not saying Uh, He's not talking about desires as if you're hungry and you're just desiring a sandwich. That word desires in the Greek points to uh, over-desires. It it literally means over-desire. And and so it's this all-controlling longing for something. And what Paul's saying there is that if you walk in the Spirit, you will not give in to those over-desires that are part of your fleshly nature. And what I want you to see this morning... Is that we are all walking somewhere, but as christians we 're called to walk toward freedom in the spirit let 's look at what Paul says in chapter five verse one. We looked at this last week. It was for it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery and so to walk in the flesh is to give in to that desire, that over-desire for the excess, for the, the, the fleshly desire. And it will, over time, destroy you. And so instead, we need to walk in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, that is the path to freedom, and that is what we as Christians are called to do. But here's the problem. How do we do that? How do we walk? In the Spirit, how do we walk towards freedom instead of engaging in the flesh? And today we're going to look at what that looks like, what it does not look like to walk in the Spirit. So here's the first thing that Paul's going to talk about as we start working our way through the passage, that you can't walk in different directions at the same time. Verse 17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led in the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so walking in the flesh is to go in the direction, in the direction of the flesh. It's the direction that that it'll take you. But to walk in the Spirit is to take you the other direction one is taking you away from the other and listen i know how easy it is to think that that just a little sin it's just a little sin so we're just going to pursue that i'm just going to engage in that it's not going to hurt anyone but the reality is that even if it never physically hurts someone to walk in flesh is to intentionally walk away and further away from the spirit And so even just little steps over time, it builds and it grows as you're slowly walking and walking further away from the spirit and away from freedom. So there is what Paul's uh, referencing here talking about is that there's a war going on inside of us. And one that is fighting for the direction of our life. And listen, there is no room for compromise. Because compromise is to lose the war. In the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln uh, began on a platform. And uh, several states seceded until more did. And then, eventually, there was a big war going on. And what happened was, in the North, there was a group of people that got so tired of the war that they wanted Lincoln to uh, do some sort of compromise to let the states that had seceded back into the Union and to allow them to continue to have slavery and and other things that they were fighting over. And Lincoln wisely asserted that at that point, there was no room to compromise because to compromise at that point would be to lose the war and would be to give up. Make no mistake that Satan is at war for your life. He's at war for life. And so to compromise is to let the enemy win in your life. And then in the next few verses, Paul's going to be talking in the passage about what it looks like to not walk in the Spirit or to, what, it, what it, walking in the Spirit does not look like. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. This, he ends with, and things like these is not an exhaustive list, but these are a bunch of different things of what it looks like to not walk in the spirit. You're walking in the wrong direction when you're engaging in these things. And I'm going to put these in a couple of different categories. We're going to look at them each one by one because a lot of these are words that we may not use readily in our normal vocabulary. And so the first group that we're going to look at are, are, is the group of sexual sins, sexual sins and the first one is sexual immorality. This refers to sex outside of the context of marriage. The Greek word there is the word pornea, which is the word that we get our word pornography from. And so uh, this is one of those sins there, the sexual sin referring to sex outside of the context of marriage. Impurities is the next one. Refers to unnatural sexual practices or relationships. And then sexuality is uncontrolled sexuality. It's taking the good thing that God has given us, uh, sex outside of the context of marriage, and and it's the over of it. So those are the. That's the first group there. Uh, sexual sins. The next group that Paul goes into is a group of religious sins, and the first one he gives is idolatry, and that's making things into idols. I, I know we don't bow down to idols anymore, but we all have a tendency, a temptation to worship different things in our life. And I want you to. I want you to ask yourself. What is preventing you from completely worshiping God? What is preventing you from completely worshiping God? Because most likely the answer to that is the thing that you are struggling with in terms of idolatry. And so there is idolatry. We we don't bow down and worship statues anymore. But there's all sorts of things out there that we can worship now as well. The next thing that he talks about is sorcery, sorcery. And this is trying to manipulate circumstances or dark powers to bring about a desired goal rather than submitting and trusting in God alone. So when Moses and Aaron made a a snake out of a staff and then Pharaoh had his magicians do the same, they did it out of they were manipulating dark powers in order to get what they wanted instead of trusting in God. That's sorcery. And some modern ways that we do that are through horoscopes, through Ouija boards, through Wicca or through Voodoo, which uh, which happens in various places around America and certainly outside of America as well. And so these are ways that we are not trusting or not to God, and these are modern modern forms of sorcery. But the next thing is the list of relational sins, and there's a bunch of them he gives here. Most likely because the Galatians were struggling with relational sins that he talks about in verse 15 about how they're bite, how they're biting and devouring each other. So clearly, in the church, there's some enmity, there's some strife, different things going on. By the way. Paul is writing to a church here. This is not uncommon in every church. And it's not because any church is a of hypocrites, though that's true. But it's because every church is full of hypocrites. Every church is full of sinners. We all struggle outside personally in our own life and inside in our own life. In fact, I would say if everyone is getting along and in the sense of there's no conflict at all, then there's probably something wrong. But he's not talking here about just healthy conflict. He's talking here about sinful conflict. So let's look at a couple of these. Enmity. This is a generic term for hatred between people. It's having a hostile attitude toward other people. Strife. It's looking for a fight. Jealousy. Uh, the, the unnecessarily possessiveness of something. Fits of anger. So it's that uncontrolled temper. And then rivalries. This is, uh, Paul's using a political word here uh, of office seeking, but it's from a, from a, with an impure motive. And so he is sort of trying to form these divisions and then brings us to Dissensions. Refers to looking to bring divisions between people. So it's like, uh, hey, hey, guess what so and so told me with the intent that you're trying to speak bad about the other person? Guess what the pastor wrote about? And then it's uh, with the intent to speak bad about. That. So that's dissensions. And then there's divisions, similar to the previous one, but more from the standpoint of false teaching. So it's arguing about. Uh, about false teaching or, or arguing about things that really shouldn't be argued about because they're, they're false. And then lastly, envy, which is similar to jealousy, but it's envying other people's gifts that God has given them in their life and not wanting others to succeed. So these are relational sins, and clearly these are things that All of us struggle with in various ways. But then the last thing here is are the sins of excess. And this is drunkenness, getting drunk from alcohol. Uh, I believe also uh, drugs could fit into this category. Or the next one, orgies. This is not talking specifically uh, sexually, but orgies of parties of indulgence. And then he closes with and the like. So there's lots of other things here that he could be talking about. Now again, if we're honest here, these things apply to our lives as well. And I'm not giving these things because, because I'm trying to condemn each of us, but to, to give you a warning that if we continue to engage in these practices, they will mess us up spiritually because each time we pursue one of these things, whether it's something that may be uh, more acceptable as a just a little bit of anger, Or maybe something that's less acceptable as sorcery. Whatever it may be. All of these, Paul says, are sins that are going to take you away from the Spirit of God. Take you away from living in freedom. So I want to encourage you. Yes, yes, these apply. These are true. These happen in our lives. But don't just accept them. In fact, I like what... Um, He says here, actually, then then he warns us. He gives us the warning. He says, I warn you, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying there is, is not that if you do it one time, that you're going to then be condemned to hell. But if you continue in an attitude of, of wanting and practicing these things over and over again, then what it shows is that you are not truly saved. Because someone who is truly saved may continue to sin, but they're going to uh, they're going to not want to sin and they're going to they're going to re- have remorse for their sin and over time as they grow closer to God, the sin will lessen. So again, If you have sinned in any of these areas, there is grace and forgiveness for you. And there is grace and forgiveness for us, no matter what. You could have this morning have been doing some sort of voodoo doll pointing it against me. Sometimes I feel like some people are doing. But listen, even then, there is grace and forgiveness for people. But having said that, If you are living in an attitude of sin, then I want to warn you, as Paul says, be careful. Be careful. That's why uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's There's this tension here. Every time I get up and I stand before you all, and I talk about the free gift of salvation that is to each of each of us. And it's true. It's it's a free gift. And it's a gift that is easily received. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from dead, that you're saved. That you're saved. And so you can freely and easily accept that gift. But listen, it doesn't mean then that when you do that that there's this tension here between, yes, it's free and it's easily received, but at the same time, it's not, just a, it's not just something to trifle with. It's not like if you just say, God, come into my life. It's not as if those words save you. It's that heart behind it where you're asking God to be the Lord of your life. And so some of you maybe have, have said the words, but if there's no change in your life, then work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, these verses, he's talked about what it does not look like to walk in the Spirit. But now he's going to transition to what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. So walking, what walking in the Spirit does look like. And these are going to be in verses 22 through 24. Each week, each year, I take my kids to the doctor and the doctor does the physical where he listens to the heart and he checks the height and the weight and he looks at it compared to what they're supposed to be. And then he tells me whether or not they're healthy based on all these indicators. And this right here, this list here, is a list of indicators of how you are doing spiritually. And so let's go ahead and start uh, looking through these. He says in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things, there is no law. A lot of these words we do know already, uh, pretty familiar with, so I'm not going to go into each one individually. But what I want you to see is that this is a list of what a mature Christian looks like. This is what it looks like for someone who has been close to God. This is, listen, spiritual maturity is not just Bible knowledge. It's not just church attendance. It's not just someone standing up in front of you and being a good teacher. If I want to tell you, if I want to tell a person is close to God, it's these things that I should be looking at. Are they loving full of joy and peace and patience and kindness and all these things. But this leads to the question then of how can we get them in our life? If this is showing what it looks like to be a mature Christian, how can we get these things, these fruits in our life? And I want to uh, give you two things that there are a couple things to think about. And the first is this, that these are fruit. These are fruit. Paul uses this language on purpose because fruit, is not made in the sense that we make a Lego toy. Fruit is grown. And so to grow fruit, you need things like nourishment. And you need it to come from a tree that is living. If I were to take a dead branch from outside and bring it in, and then tape a bunch of apples to it, would you think for a moment that that tree or that branch had grown those apples? No way, because you, you know that in order for apples to be grown out of there, it has to come off of a living tree. And likewise, to develop fruit in our life, we must be connected to the living God. And so everything comes out of our connection with God. God is both our life. And our nourishment. And many times we think it's the opposite. Where if we want to be closer to God, we have to force these habits into our life. And so we think, alright, I'm going to be more spiritual, so I'm going to try to just be more patient. <clears throat> and you can, you can white-knuckle the patience for a little while. But that's really, if we're honest, that's not true Patience. You can pretend to be joyful as you walk in on Sunday morning. But as you're driving to work down 93, Boston, that joy quickly goes away if it's not real joy. Right? So you must be connected to the living God. It begins by asking him into your life. He says that he stands at the door and knocks. And so if you will invite him in and mean it, then he will save you and he will bring you in this family and you will be connected to him. And that's when you'll be in the point where you can begin to grow fruit in your life. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15. I'm the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I, in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Not, not even a little bit here. It's not even given room for a little bit. Nothing. Nothing here. And this leads to the, the last couple of verses that we're going to look at. And this gives us another way that we can grow the fruit in our life. So, so we need to recognize that these are fruit. And to grow fruit, we need to be connected to the source of life, to God. But look at verse 24. He says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And verse 24 there is key. That he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. In one sense, I believe that he's talking about uh, the... the The crucifying of the flesh by getting sin out of your life. And so if you're a Christian, yeah, you want to do what you can to get the sin out of your life. Knowing that in one sense, it's the Spirit of God working in your life. In another sense, you have to take responsibility and, and act in a way to get the sin out of your life. And so that's one side of it. But I think what he's more talking about is the mindset that we have as Christians that we are crucified. And so when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, what's happening behind the scenes is that you, are, you have died. You have died. You are dead. But then Christ raises you to life, spiritually speaking. And so when you are baptized, that's what baptism is, is symbolizing. You are going down in the water, that's saying you're dead to the sin, and then you come out and you are now alive in Christ. And so as Christians, I want to encourage you to live in a way that you have been killed and you are now dead as uh, you are now dead in the sense that you are dead to this life and to sin and so to properly grow fruit in our life, we must live like we're dead. Like we're dead. Years ago, I remember I was trying to be healthy and so I was uh, exercising and uh, on a treadmill in our basement. And I started walking. I was looking for something to watch on TV and I came across this show uh, that looked like it was. It, I heard about it. And I didn't know much about it. And so there, this guy walks into this sort of abandoned area, and then this little girl is just standing there and turns around, and this little girl is is a zombie. And the girl starts walking towards him, and he takes his gun, and he shoots her, and then the scene's over, and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. Nope, not for me. Not for me. Not my kind of movie here. Not my kind of show. That, by the way, is called The Walking Dead. It's a show about zombies. Now, the reason I bring that up is because We, as Christians, are not zombies, as much as some people may want to say, but we do want to act and live as if we are the walking dead, as if we are the walking dead, because we have died to this life, and we are now living as if we have been crucified. And it's only then when we have died and submitted our life to God and let him live in our and come in our life, work through life. It's only when we have an attitude of deadness that God can begin to truly grow the fruit in our life. Romans 6, 11. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive in God, in Christ Jesus. Count yourself dead. Dead. And it's in this attitude of deadness that. God will begin to work. And so when you feel that temptation coming on, I want to encourage you, I want you to tell yourself, I am dead to that temptation, but alive in Christ. When that anger begins to dwell up in your life, in that moment, I want you to tell yourself, I am dead to that anger, but alive in Christ Jesus when that sin, whatever it is, begins to dwell or begins to come up in your life, I want to encourage you to tell yourself, I am dead to that, but alive in Christ Jesus. Here's the cool thing. I'm going to close or wrap up with this idea here. Just as you can't fake growing fruit, you know, with that fake tree, you can't grow fruit. The opposite is true, though. You, people cannot ignore real fruit growing in your life. People cannot ignore real fruit growing in your life. Here's a story I came across that they said is true. Uh, a friend of mine used to work as a denominational official in Minnesota. One of his jobs was to travel to little rural communities where, he didn't have to, where, where they didn't have churches to do funerals. They would go out with an undertaker, and they would drive together uh, as the undertaker's in the undertaker's hearse. One time, they were on their way back from a funeral, and my friend John was feeling quite tired. He decided he would take a nap, and since they were in a hearse, he thought, well, I'll just lie down in the back of the hearse. It sounds like a, a little creepy, um, but it's a tr- this is a true story the guy who was driving the hearse pulled into a service station because he was running low on gas. The service station attendant was filling up the tank when he kind of freaked out because there was a body stretched out in the back. And while he was filling up the tank, John woke up, opened his eyes, knocked on the window, and waved to the attendant. And John said he never saw anybody run so fast in their whole life. I like that. Now that's that's funny, but that gives a great a great uh, illustration here for 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 a spiritual perspective that there is power when dead things become alive again. There's power when dead things become alive again because when you die to yourself and you let the spirit of God work in your life, then these fruits begin to develop and people will start noticing them. They'll start to notice the changed life that you have. There's a saying, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. And that's what fruit does. It is preaching the gospel without you even saying anything, any words. And so if you will show that God has changed your life, they may disagree with you on what you say about Jesus, but they cannot deny you what you've shown them about what Jesus has done in your life. And so as you show love, and as you show joy, and as you show peace, those are things they cannot say no about I think of how many kids grow up in Christian homes that leave the faith when they're older. And many times I think it's because kids see their parents and they see them talk about Jesus but then live another way. There's this hypocrisy here, hypocrisy here. They they know that, that yeah, that Jesus they talk about doesn't seem real after all. But if you will let the spirit of work in your life, and if you will show your love and joy and peace and patience, I know I have four kids. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. But I do what I can to show these things in my life. And my prayer is that when they get older, yeah, they will believe what I've told them about Jesus, but they will not also be able to deny that God has worked in my life. And I pray the same is true for each of you as well, not just with your kids, but with your coworkers, with your spouse, with your your parents, and with everyone else that lives close among you. May they see Jesus. May they hear you tell them about him, but may they see him work in your life through these fruit. Because if you are truly dead and the fruit comes out of you, they will not be able to deny those fruits. Let's go ahead and pray this morning.